Hello, and welcome to A Health Podacy. Patients really seem to value their relationship with their provider. And more than likely, that relationship is more easily established with a physician as opposed to an institution. I'm your host, Alan Weil. We're all familiar with star ratings for restaurants, products, providers of services. We use apps like Yelp and Uber, Amazon and TripAdvisor. We score our own experiences and we use them to understand the experiences of others. And we're all familiar with the one to five star rating scale as part of those measures. Healthcare has not been immune to the star rating craze, and that's what we'll be discussing today. We've published in Health Affairs about patients' use of Yelp to rate hospitals. And we know the federal government has invested heavily in star rating systems for hospitals and nursing homes. But this raises an important question. How do patients use this information to inform their choices? Dr. Schwartz and co-authors published a study in the January 2021 issue of Health Affairs on how much patients are willing to pay to go to a hospital or doctor with an extra star in their quality ratings. The results are really fascinating, and I'm looking forward to digging deeper into this topic. Dr. Schwartz, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So let's jump right into what you found. Give us a sense, what is the monetary value of an extra star for a doctor or a hospital? Well, it's interesting. In our study, we found that patients would trade three about $3,200 for an additional physician star and about $2,600 for an extra hospital star. So clearly, quality is important, but the actual dollar amount was a little bit higher for physicians than for hospitals. So we'll come back to that difference between physicians and hospitals in a minute, but let's get some context for that dollar amount. Obviously, the services are much more expensive than this. So this is the cost out of pocket to the patient. That's what you asked them to consider? Yes, that's correct. So the way we set this up actually was we performed a discrete choice experiment where people were able to choose between venue A and venue B, and they were given different star ratings for the different venues and then different out-of-pocket costs. And those out-of-pocket costs were really based upon the out-of-pocket inpatient deductible that's established by CMS every year. And so that for this year is around $1,400. So we gave them a choice of around $200, and then we gave a choice of about $1,000 and then $4,000 to try to pivot around that typical out-of-pocket cost for a total joint arthroplasty. So these are differences that patients are used to seeing. These amounts are within the range of what they're likely to pay over the course of a year or for a complex service. Is that right? Exactly. Yes. We, we really wanted to make these out-of-pocket costs as realistic for a patient as possible when we were trying to evaluate how they would make this decision. And just to be clear, the patients didn't have any sense that the amount they would pay had any effect on how much the hospital or the physician would pay. This was just sort of, what is it worth to you? Correct. So this is such a great topic. What motivated your interest in it? You know, most of us who get into healthcare, we we grow up and when you ask somebody, why do you want to become a doctor? The answer is typically, well, to help people. And in 2020 terms, that answer, I guess you could you could revisit that answer and say, well, it's to provide high quality care for my patients. And so over the last decade, we've seen just a, an explosion of these rating systems and 
online information sources for patients to get information just about that, about how how they can choose their provider or their hospital, their doctor, their even even their nursing uh, facility uh, based on quality metrics. And so those metrics, by and large, are developed from a payer perspective, from a provider perspective, from a health system perspective, typically not accounting for the patient perspective. And actually, this morning, walking into work, I, I'm extraordinarily fortunate to uh, work at a place like Mayo Clinic where I walk in and there's a big sign that says the needs of the patient come first. And, you know, we think here, and I, I, I've always thought I provide very high quality care for my patients and, and Mayo, you know, over a century by any rating system has always provided very high quality care. But, you know, the, the real motivation was to say, well, what do patients think and, and how do they interpret these quality rating systems? And just to be clear, in the paper, one of the limitations you note is that the the questions were asked at a very high quality facility that people may select because they care about quality. So the, the respondents to the survey may actually value quality more than someone on average does. Absolutely. And and one of the things that we would love to do, you know, this survey was was performed among 200 patients at this, you know, quaternary academic center. And uh, one of the things we'd love to see is this same method applied to different venues and, and, and different demographics, different patient populations, different uh, regions in, in, the, in the country and see if these results are generalizable. So one of the great things about research is that it answers questions, but also creates new hypotheses. So this is sort of first up, and it leads you to a bunch of questions. So I want to walk through a few of the dimensions of the findings. Just get your thoughts on them, acknowledging what you just said, which is that in order to really understand them, probably going to have to ask this in different settings with more patients and the like. But one of the first things is the one you already mentioned, the relative dollar value people placed on physicians having an extra star versus the hospital having an extra star. So remind us of what that difference was and say a little bit about what you think that means. So clearly both are important to patients. Patients were willing to trade off or or we say willing to pay about $3,200 for an extra physician star and about $2,600 for an extra hospital star. So clearly both are significant expenses. And as we saw in our in our study group, we had a number of patients who whose annual income was was on the order of $50,000. So that's a that's a very significant amount for a lot of these patients. When we think about that difference, so it's about what we found is about a, a $600 difference there. And we think that some of that has to do with the fact that patients really seem to value their relationship with their provider. And more than likely, that relationship is more easily established with a physician as opposed to an institution. So that's where we really think that that difference is is explained, although our, our study admittedly was not designed to look into the reasons why some of these findings were were uncovered, but more, uh, you know, just the raw numbers themselves. Yeah. And again, you, we have to start with something and then we can ask some more questions. That does seem intuitively right to me. It makes me a little nervous. And we'll talk some about whether stars are a good, uh, a good phenomenon or not. So you're talking out about a procedure that has a relatively low complication rate. And I guess the question is, do we think the differential outcomes people experience are primarily due to physician or clinician behavior or 
things like maybe infection, which are more tied to uh, hospital protocol. So do we think patients even have any idea about those? Or is this really just sort of the high level, as you say, you know, you have a relationship with one, but probably not with the other? So, so I think you hit the nail on the head there. And I, I think as we, as we collect more data and as we move towards systems that are able to share data, you know, I think we can start to detect differences in events that occur very infrequently. And I think, you know, one of the interesting parts of this is that patients, they intuitively, I think, understand the limitations of something like a star rating system, which, yes, the statistics behind it are very complex and it accounts for a number of different quality metrics. But at the same time, you miss the narrative view of a family member or a friend or a, a you know a primary care physician who's had a long established relationship with a, a specialist and says you know here's somebody that i've seen great results that that gets great results and and uh, you know star ratings themselves miss a little bit of that yeah we certainly found that in the the paper we published i mean when when you look at yelp it's the narrative which doesn't naturally align with a one to five star. And of course, the stars tend to cluster high. Not a lot of, there aren't a lot of ones and twos. So, so there's, there's a whole lot of noise in that signal between three and four or four and five. Absolutely. And so that's actually part of our experimental design was we, we didn't even include hospitals with ones and twos because we didn't think that was going to be uh, a reasonable choice that somebody would make. So we distinguish between hospitals with three stars, four stars or five stars. Certainly not a reasonable option for someone who's coming to Mayo who's expecting five stars. Uh, so another dimension of the findings was this uh, reference to the naive patient or the new patient, the difference in the value between people who had more experience with the healthcare sector and those with less. Can you say a little more about that as well? So again, I, I, I don't know that our that our study was necessarily set up to look at the at the why, but I we can hypothesize that similar to other industries, when when people look at a star rating system, you have people who are relatively new to whatever they're looking at, and they're they're using any sort of information that's available to them at the time, whereas someone who's had lots of experience and knows the questions to ask and, and you know, sort of as a seasoned veteran of, of that particular industry will probably put a little bit less value on something as, I don't want to say superficial because the statistics are so complicated behind star rating systems, but something as quick as a star rating system. Well, it's a good place for us to take a quick break and we'll do that right now. Health Affairs may be the leading health policy journal, but did you know we also send a daily newsletter? Sign up for Health Affairs today to catch our daily roundup of news, analysis, and commentary. Topics range from designing value-based payment systems to the latest on COVID-19. And it's free. Head to www.healthaffairs.org and click Newsletter Sign Up in the menu to join the premier health policy community. And we're back. And I'm speaking with Dr. Adam Schwartz about star ratings and what consumers are willing to pay for an extra star. Uh, Your research also showed an increased willingness to travel among the oldest age cohort. Can you just give a little bit of that finding and we can talk about it some? Yeah, absolutely. So for all the patients, actually, we found that there was a cost associated with travel to a hospital with more stars. And on average, we found that about that that cost was a, a, approximately $11. We found that 
older patients were a bit more willing to travel. And in other words, younger patients would pay more to not travel to the tune of almost twice the amount of older patients. Now, in the paper, you hypothesized that that might have something to do with the time value that if you're retired and you don't have other competing needs, that could make you willing to go a distance. I, acknowledging, again, that this sur the survey you did didn't ask people the reasons behind, I have to say another thought crossed my mind, which is because you're describing an, uh, a procedure with very uh, low rates of, of complications, it might be that people who've lived longer have had one of those complications in something that they thought was low risk. And they realize, you know, quality really matters here. Like if this goes bad, it could be really bad. Whereas when you're young, you think, yeah, it's not going to happen to me. I don't know. Does that ring true to you? Absolutely. There, yeah, I, I think there's a, there's a lot to that. And it would be interesting to, to again, I, I think some of the qualitative studies you could do and follow up to this study would be, I think, fascinating to uh, uncover some of these uh, tendencies. Well, that's part of why I like this piece so much is because it acknowledges that it asks as many questions as it answers, but it gives us some data to tell us which questions would be worth answering or to consider which questions would be uh, worth exploring. You mentioned in the paper the phenomenon of regionalization of services. So that's an interesting dynamic where for many procedures, we know that higher volume is correlated with higher quality, that doctors get better the more they do, that facilities build more consistent procedures the more they do. I'm trying to map this paper onto that phenomenon and just wonder if you have any thoughts about that. When I try to look at the overlap between regionalization and public reporting and star ratings, I think that one of the things that regionalization can help us with is, again, in increasing the size of our data sets. And as we start to compare institutions on very rare occurrences, I think the more that we can narrow, we can be more precise with those measurements and those differences, of course, controlling for confounding factors, I think that's probably where the connection between regionalization and public reporting. It's interesting in the, in the joint arthroplasty world, one of the other factors here is not just the regionalization, but with removal of total hip and total knee replacement from the inpatient only list recently, moving patients from a hospital setting to an ambulatory surgery setting. So, you know, I, I don't know that this is actually a word, but I would almost say that the ambulization of, of joint arthroplasty, you know, not necessarily moving from region, but moving from treatment venue. Well, you heard the word here first. I don't know if it is either. <laughs> um, so this is really interesting from a health policy perspective, because you already showed us that there's, and it's not a surprise that there's a value people place on getting care closer to home. There's a value they place on getting their care from someone who they know, which is more likely to be somewhere local to them. But there's also a clinical value to large numbers, which suggests that uh, you might want to concentrate services. Um, it just sounds like there are competing values here that, again, this research will help us understand whether people are willing to make the trade-off uh, between quality and convenience and familiarity with their provider. And so this it adds another dimension of what's important about this work. You know, the star rating systems are partly to guide consumer choice, but they're part of a broader value-based payment 
uh, scheme or, or, or a range of initiatives that tie payment levels to providers, not that you're focused here on the patient side. You want to comment a little about how it feels to be on the clinical side of knowing that star ratings are part of the overall value formula for your institution and maybe you as an individual physician? I would point out that our study really wasn't so much designed to look at cost, but as I look at the overlap between star ratings and public reporting and value-based healthcare, I, I would say that our field and, and joint arthroplasty, maybe more so than any other field in medicine, is really at a crossroads right now in terms of do we move forward with a fee-for-service model or do we move forward with an alternative payment model and and the most popular one being bundled payments and in, in, in joint orthoplasty. Clearly, public reporting and star ratings and Yelp reviews and so on and so forth, I, I think will continue to facilitate payments that recognize quality, but they will do so through patient choice. So the, the, the real way to affect that change is by affecting patient choice. And, you know, that's really the interest we had here was trying to to provide the link between the ratings themselves and, and what is actually driving patient choice based on those rating systems. Yeah. So I want to wrap up by sort of asking you to speak as a practicing clinician, not just as the lead author on this paper, about this whole star movement. And I, I don't I don't want to push you in places you don't want to go. But, you know, on the one hand, the cat's out of the bag, right? I mean, people are going to rate you and your institution on Yelp, whether you want them to or not. You say, you avoided the word simplified, because uh, I think that's right. The stars are actually generated from very complex methods. But at the end of the day, we're putting a whole lot of weight on the difference between a five or a four or a three when you know as a practicing physician that quality is multidimensional and patient experience, of course, is multidimensional. No one rates me every day on a five-star scale, and I, I kind of am glad for that. <laughs> But I just wonder how it feels, you know, from where you are, whether you think this sort of rating movement is a good thing. What, what, how does it uh, help you be a better doctor? And in what ways do you feel a little uncomfortable? Well, so it's a great question. I mean, it's like everything. I think when you when you get great ratings, it feels great. And I have all of the letters patients have written me and I post them up all over my office. And, and you know, great ratings feel great and, and bad ratings really feel bad. I mean, I think at the end of the day, it really comes down to what is going to help us advance our patients' care? What's going to help us to get the patients the best care possible? And I think that's the other reason why this type of research to me is so exciting to to try to have a place at the table to say you know these are these are the issues that are critically important to patients you know there there may be some 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 things that we can compare hospitals on that are extraordinarily rare events but there are a lot of things that are extremely important to patients such as outcomes, such as how their patient-reported outcomes are going to improve following a surgery, um, whether or not they'll be satisfied with their surgery. You know, we, there's a lot of research that says that a patient can have a wonderfully successful joint arthroplasty and be terribly dissatisfied with that procedure. And so, you know, being involved in this type of research, I think, helps to hopefully shape these outcome metrics in a way that patients can look at them and they can make decisions that will lead to better care for them. 
Well, that's such a great way to think about it. And of course, the clinicians on the other side feeling both the highs and the lows hopefully can also adjust and realize that what you think is successful may not be what your patients think is successful. And at the end of the day, given what you said, you've got to listen to that part too. Absolutely. Well, um, I, I really love the research. I'm proud that we were able to publish it. I think it covers a critical topic and it sets the stage for more. And uh, it was a real pleasure talking to you, Dr. Schwartz. Uh, I'm so happy you joined us today on A Health Policy. Thank you for having me. Health Policy is produced by Health Affairs, the leading journal for health policy research. The team behind the show includes Patty Sweet, Jeff Byers, Brian Dobbs, Julia Vivolo, Sarah Kolk, and Sue Ducat. Like the show? Subscribe to A Health Podacy on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thanks for listening, and have a great morning, day, or evening. <laughs>